But I think rather than just trying to create a cultural version of the world, young people can actually help us to understand the culture. And a shock absorber needs to be flexible and strong. And I think the strength of a shock absorber comes from the cultural shock absorber in the church, comes from older Christians with their life experience and their wisdom and their theological understanding coming together with young people and talking about culture in a theological way. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. Uh, We've had a little bit of a break, but we are now into season three, which we are going to talk about engaging young people. And I'm very glad to be joined again by my co-host, Stuart Crawshaw. How are you? G'day, Joel. It's good to be here. It's excellent to have you back. Uh, Yes. A little bit of a hiatus. We've been... uh, We've been working on some other digital things that people might yes. want to check out on YouTube. Yeah, um, I love the Chip Lunch. You guys have done a great job with that. Yeah, that's a, a Chip Lunch podcast. If you're interested, guys, that's on YouTube and podcast apps as well. Um, and uh, we're doing a lot of other stuff with how we're doing our digital gatherings as well. So that's been really exciting. Um, I, like, I like the Chip Lunch because it fills out what we're doing. Like it's hearing yeah. from other people about what they think it's what what living as a Christian's like today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was one of the things we were trying to do um, when we uh, established it was we. Uh, we had a cool discussion on one of the first episodes about how some of us grew up in Christian households, mm. some of us grew up in non-Christian households and how helpful it is to have that kind of Christian backbone mm. to come back to, that support structure. So we're hoping that that podcast will be one of those kind of things for guys that are maybe newly Christians or still working out how to be a Christian in society. I think yeah. that would be really helpful for people. Yeah, I, th- I think young people growing up with different experiencing, hearing different stories, they can relate to different things that are on the podcast it's really good yeah that's the plan anyway um so check that out guys if you're interested uh we've been really stoked on how many people have been listening to that and also shock absorber because um we've been really trying to push out a fair bit of content and be excited about and hopefully we can help people you know serve christ better and do all that kind of thing but we're here we're here with season three yes uh what are we talking about Stu? we're engaging the youth but yes the other thing i was going to say was we often you often like to talk about a movie Yes. But today you wanted to talk about a song. Well, I thought it might be mixing it up a bit, do something different for season three. First couple of seasons, I loved your idea about talking about a movie and you shared a couple, I shared a few. And uh, I thought this season, because we're going to be talking about uh, particularly how does how, how do young people see the church and do young people have uh, issues with the church? Do the church have issues with young people? Really important question because if we're talking about the shock absorber, the shock absorber is about how to bring older generations and younger generations together. So this whole season we're going to look at does the church have an image problem with youth, which we're going to talk about today. And I thought what better way to kind of explore that as well as talking about it but by having a song to listen to or at least refer to each week. So, yeah, I thought it would be fun to have a song. What's the song? Well, the song I've picked for today is uh, by an Australian band called The Chats. (laughs) Yep. Have you heard of The Chats? (laughs) Yes, I have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And the song is... Pub feed, which is my favourite <laughs> chat song. And if you're not from Australia and you're overseas, a pub is is a hotel, a place where people can is go like, and buy beer. Is it a public house? A public like? house, that sounds right. Yeah, I think sure that's probably public, right. Something. Public, yeah. That's, that, we should look into that. That's Maybe people could put in the comments what a pub is after. Yes. Have a listen. Absolutely. Let us know. Do a bit of research. Yep. But yeah, no, uh, Pub Feed, <laughs> it's a fun song about – it's a punk song. These, these guys are a, a young punk band – from the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and they play this song and sing about all he wants is a good pub feed, <laughs> the singer's saying. So a pub feed is, again, for those that aren't from Australia, 
one of the best things about going to a pub in Australia is not necessarily the beer, but to have a big chicken schnitzel or a chicken parmigiana and chips, something greasy, something, you know, a big steak. Yeah, yeah. So the whole song is just a celebration of the Australian pub feed. So I I think that's (laughs) iconic and I think they've done a really good job with it. I feel like you like it because it's got a fair bit of punk in it. I love a bit of punk, yeah, yeah. I think it's really fun. I also find the band really hilarious because these young guys have started bringing mullets back. And mullets, are, uh, I'm sure everyone around the world knows what a mullet is, but they've got a particular distinctive 70s mullet, which I think was was a, was a cracker mullet design, and it's caused so much controversy amongst people, I, and even more than ever, and I, I find that hilarious, so that's really fun. Why, why is it controversial? Oh, I don't know. They write a song about it, actually, oh. and in the song uh, they say, I don't know if this is a autobiographical song but it might just be a fun made up thing but they they sing a song about how they go to a pub to have a pub feed and have a beer but they get kicked out by the owner because they look too rough because they've got mullets <laughs> and they, so i love that yeah so it's pretty funny it's also coming back like uh, i noticed that a lot of kids at uh high school age are bringing the mullet back too it's fantastic uh, and i love it when it when it when it when something comes from the grassroots when when young people re- reinvent something or they discover something and they make it their own and this doesn't look like it's adults imposing it on young people. Um, one of my great sadnesses is is The Voice. I don't know if you've watched The Voice on TV. Or the TV show. But to see young people singing in front of middle-aged people who used to be popular <laughs> and young people who have incredible talent in their own right waiting for approval from these middle-aged people who are has-beens, it just breaks my heart. Like, wow. it should be the other way around. Young people should be just going, I don't care what these people think of us. And, that, and we and just want to... Upsetting. Yeah, we want to actually upset the conventions, but they're so desperate to get approval from these judges. And I'm like, where did, where did popular music go? And then the chats came along and it made me happy because they've just <laughs> gone and cut their hair and, and got chucked out of pubs again. And I'm like, something cool's happening. That's good. Right. So if we're talking about pub feeds and mullets and... Uh, Australian New Age punk bands. Yeah. What does that have to do with the image problem <laughs> of the church with young people? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think I think it's just a fun thing to start off with. Like, okay. it's, <laughs> just have a listen. They're a fun band. But um, also I think it's interesting because, like I said, I think the chats are representing something happening in Australian culture from the grassroots where young people are actually expressing themselves again and singing about their own themes and singing about things that are happening to them in their lives again which instead is, of trying to get approval from middle-aged people. Which is why you hate the voice, right? Yeah, Got yeah, it. yeah. So let's uh, ask that main question. Does the church have an image problem with young people? Yes, I think I um, think that's the short answer. So if you don't want to listen to the rest of the podcast or <laughs> the rest of the season, you can get the short answer. Yes, the church has an image problem. That was the TLDR version. Um Okay, so now I'm going to ask the longer version, why? <laughs> why? Okay. I, I think that would be fun to explore in this first episode, actually. Just talk about what sort of problem it is. Might give uh, our listeners and our viewers an opportunity to disagree. Like, maybe you disagree. Maybe you think the church doesn't have an image problem. I think we're seeing a lot of young people leaving the church. A lot of young people who are brought up in the church are leaving the church. And we're also not seeing a whole heap of young people coming into the church uh, just from our area of uh, the the Sydney Diocese of the Sydney Anglican Church, um, I've heard recently that uh, youth ministries that used to be really strong in our region are uh, not as strong as they used to be. And I'm hearing other people talking about how uh, it's really difficult to connect with young people, have credibility with young people. And um, yeah, so I think, I think it is a bit of an issue. Uh, and interestingly, 
uh, on Facebook recently, one of my friends, uh, Graham Stanton, uh, who's a terrific thinker in youth ministry, posted an article on Facebook by Chris Curtis. And I think this sums up how I'm feeling about the church as well. When I read the article, I was like, oh, yeah, I resonate with this. I think this is this is interesting. The article's actually not about Australia. It's about England. And it sort of shows this universe that, the universality of the problem, I think, because in this article uh, by Chris Curtis, uh, which is called Double or Bust, which we could probably put a link to in the show notes afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the church, it, this is the, the subheading, the church needs radical change to engage young people again. And the problem that he raises in the article is he thinks it is that the church has an issue with contacting young people because where do we contact them? They don't come to church anymore. Uh, it's hard to – he does say that, you know, there are opportunities to meet young people in school still a little bit, although that's becoming less and less of an opportunity to meet young people and introduce them to uh, Christian ideas. But uh, young people don't hang out on the street anymore. They don't necessarily hang out at skate parks and go surfing down the beach like they used to which um, is interesting. Uh, they're online a lot more. So how do you contact, which would be interesting to hear from you as a digital pastor, Joel, about <laughs> your thoughts on that. But yeah, um, sure. but yeah the contact's an issue. Uh, credibility is an issue. Um, the church has, which we can talk about some more um, later in the podcast, but church has a real credibility issue with young people. And I think particularly since um, the Royal Commission in Australia that has highlighted so many uh, issues of child abuse and, and neglect that right. the church should have been on top of. Uh, and I say the church, I mean, I'm speaking really broadly there, but um, there's there's been some really terrible um, cases of neglect that have rightly made people angry. And yep. and that is on top of, I suppose, the new atheists from the 80s who have been, oh, sorry, the 90s and the early 2000s who were really attacking the character of God himself. Then the church has been shown wanting and then I think with um, youth culture, I think youth culture has changed a lot in the last 10 years, which would be interesting to have a look at that today. But I think I think it's becoming more political. Youth culture is becoming more political and more and more the church is being seen as the modernist institution that we want to replace with something better and new. So young people are uh, not as curious about the faith anymore, um, which he makes a point in the article of. So I think that, that actually is a good summary i think of the problem uh so it'd be kind of interesting to see your thoughts on that too i don't know what well, do you think uh, my question about that i mean <coughs> when you when you say that i think of um something that mark says has been talking about it being that we're very much in a post-christian world yep. which um kind of sums up a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about there mm. but i was the question that i was going to ask you though was how long has this been a problem? Because you've been, um, you started your ministry in youth ministry. Yeah. When did you first recognise that the church did have a cultural? It, it was missing a cultural link with the rest of the culture or youth culture. Yeah. Well, I think I think it dates back further than just our current time. Um, uh, yeah. When I first became aware that there was a bit of a problem with young people in our particular local church, was that I grew up in a youth group where we had about forty people my age, I suppose, who went along to the youth group. Almost exclusively, they were all from Christian families who'd grown up in the church. And yet, by the time I was 18, all of my friends had left church. And so that's really uh, one of the reasons why I went into youth ministry, because I wanted to see if there was anything I could do to help young people consider hanging out and sticking around uh, with Jesus. Um, But when I realized it was more than just a local problem that was happening at my local church was actually when I was on my way home from university one day and I was in the car and I was driving home and I was listening to a Sydney uh, radio 
uh, channel which is called Triple J, uh, which is a youth network in in Australia. Still a great youth network today. Um, but anyway, one of the announcers on Triple J was you know, bantering with the other announcer, and 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 for some reason they got on the topic of Christian youth groups, and the announcer said, "How are those Christian youth groups with all those youth group games that youth?" Christian youth play yeah. and they were laughing and laughing and laughing like more than I would expect that to be a funny thing they, they thought it was hilarious and then one of the announcements one of the announcers says yeah how are those Christian games that Christians play in youth groups it's almost like it's an excuse for them to touch each other because they're not allowed to touch each other as Christians and I just like it really brought me to a, a stop I was like I still remember where I was when I heard that and I just went wow this is a really big disconnect like these guys don't understand what what youth ministry is and what churches are doing uh, in order to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Right. Did you think it was that big? Is that why it stopped you in your tracks? Um, well, I, I, I mean, I'm going back a long way and most of our listeners and viewers probably haven't experienced this kind of youth ministry, but there was a hangover from the 1970s into the 1980s when I was going to youth group where there was a lot of daggy games that I was playing in youth group um, activities on a Friday night that were a bit embarrassing sometimes even, you know, like um, games like just childish kind of games. And some of them even verged on, you know, I I didn't even want to do it. Like there was there right. was a game there was a game where, you know, you put a lifesaver on a toothpick and you have to pass it the lifesaver between guy girl, guy girl and so I'd have a lifesaver on my toothpick and the idea was a girl would have a toothpick in her mouth and I'd have to somehow slide the lifesaver onto her toothpick. And here's this, you know, sister in Christ that I'm like supposed to be passing this lifesaver to, getting way too close to, like yeah. way in her physical space. And I remember us at youth group actually sometimes going, I don't want to do that. Like, And we didn't do it. And our youth leaders were great. Uh, and they said, oh, okay, if you don't want to do it. But yeah, when, I suppose the two things that went through my mind when I heard the the announcer laughing about it was part of me was laughing at it and part of me was like yeah it's really cringy and daggy and you know at at the age of 18 um just going on 19 that i would have been i was still going to a youth group at our church that was still doing things like that so if i was going to ask a friend of mine to come along to see what christianity is all about and come to a youth group um you know in those days it was see the angels at Caring Bar Inn or come to a youth group where you pass a lifesaver to a toothpick to a someone <laughs> else. And they, they're like, oh, no, nah, I don't think I'll go along to that. You know, so I, I got a sense that we needed to do something radical and change. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of led us to a real journey of investigation, experimentation, because it wasn't that we just wanted to do something new. It was actually we felt like something was broken even back then. Yeah. So I think that's when I first became aware of it, yeah. There's um, games that were not... Not supposedly not, or not sorry, not supposedly not very ideal. Um, where did that come from? Like, why why was it thought that that might be a, a useful game to have at a youth I, group? I think the vibe was from the nineteen seventies that it was fun and crazy, so it was <laughs> meant to make you laugh. And the <laughs> the second thing I think was they were pitched to us by our youth leaders as get to know you games. This is how you get to know each other. So there were some of them were the that were trust games where, you know, for example, someone would stand on a table and cross their arms and fall backwards yep. and a group would have to catch them. Things like that. And there were some like the toothpick game that were just way out that just weren't cool. And I don't know, I don't think people back then really thought about it. But I know our generation, Generation X, we started going, I don't know if I feel like this is a great idea. So I think that 
it was we were starting to question the church and rightly so but also i think what i was feeling was some of these youth group games were actually distracting from the gospel message so we went well, i'm jumping ahead but when we we started to become youth leaders ourselves we decided to ditch the youth group games and just hang out read the bible together have a pray maybe have a feed and it was a lot less like that and more organic in the 90s when we started doing youth ministry you spoke about the disconnect that you notice and that's why you did those things just hung out mm. where do you think that all started like how did that disconnect start happening yeah. if if it, i mean even if it that's my other question i suppose is did it happen was it already happening or had it always been a disconnect between the youth culture or is it just kind of i know you'd love to talk about what happened in the 60s of that seismic change yeah i think that's where it started yeah i look there's always been a tension between younger people and older people and you know i think one of the i think it was plato or or socrates or someone who wrote something like i despair for this generation what's (laughs) going to happen to the world the young people these days so there's always been a bit of rebelliousness and tension between younger generations and older generations but I think youth culture itself really kicked off in the 1960s and I think the generation gap as we know it today, although some people would say it's not as advanced today, but I'd, I'd, I'd question that. But I think, I think yeah, the 1960s was really seismic. Um, if people are interested in checking that out for themselves as, and if they've got Apple TV, Apple Plus has just brought out a new documentary called 1971 that actually explores all that. And in the documentary, they talk about all the social movements in the 1960s, not only the rock and roll and the musical and cultural changes, like, um, you know, the pill brought along a sexual revolution. Uh, the pill for the first time gave women an opportunity to to have more freedom about uh, conception. And so that led to all sorts of changes. Rock and roll was a lot more explicitly looking for a new break from modernism, from the past, uh, from the nuclear family and all the... 1950s kind of culture and there was also a lot of the movements that shape our day today were born in the 60s i think so the civil rights movement the anti-war movement the environmental movement the gay rights movement the feminist movement all these movements emerged in 1960s and what's interesting about this apple plus uh documentary series is they chart the changes that had taken place by 1971 through the musical changes in 1971 so they look at John Lennon, they look at Rolling Stones, they have a look at Tina Turner and Aretha Franklin and through those artists who are singing about the themes that are coming up in the 60s, you get this sense that, yeah, 1971 really changed everything. Like that time was really, really powerfully changing things. I mean, in 1964, the changes were so pronounced that Time magazine wrote a Time magazine cover article that said, is God dead? Or God is dead, I think, in America. And, you know, there's this big, the, the young people that are getting into these movements and listening to this music and cultural change are actually leaving the church. And that's, I think, when it started. I talked to one of my elders at Guy Anglican Church where I was growing up, who was uh, in his 70s when I was young. And I, I asked him, actually, was it always like it is now where young people are leaving the church? And he said, actually, at Guymer Anglican Church in the 1950s, there were 400 young children coming to Sunday school every week. No one did any advertising or any ministries outside of the church. They literally just opened the door of this suburban church and 400 children would come to church. The 1970s, that had been cut to 80, 90 already by that time. So, yeah, he in his, I mean, that was just one opinion in one local church, but what's interesting about the 1971 documentary 
is it charts all these massive social changes. And interestingly, they look at this little change that happened amongst young people in 1971 also where the Jesus movement started. And so by 1971, the church had actually appreciated that there need to be a really different change. But it wasn't the adults in the church that changed. It was the young people themselves. And in the 1971 documentary, it talks about the Jesus movement as young Christians playing rock and roll and forming communes and speaking about the issues of their generation. And interestingly, they were too radical for their parents, but they were, and they were too rock and roll for their parents, but they were too conservative in their Christian views for their own generation. That hippie movement. Yeah, that, that, so the hippie movement itself didn't universally embrace the Jesus movement, but singers like Larry Norman and Randy Stonehill and Keith Green were, were actually pioneering a new approach to evangelism and mission that used rock and roll as a mouthpiece. And at, in our podcast, we, we like to go one way in the podcast, and that's because one of those Jesus people, Larry Norman, uh, who was a very prominent figure in the Jesus movement, one night went on stage to this packed house of Jesus freaks, Jesus people, and they were all clapping him, and he felt uncomfortable about that because he was there for Jesus, not for his own glory, as he said. And so instead of just receiving that applause, he just went like that. He said, no, no, there's only one other, one, there's only one way, there's only one person who should receive that praise. And then that became a, a, a symbol for the movement. So the hippies were going peace, and the Jesus people were saying one way, Jesus right. is the way. And... Um, that wasn't just a small thing. By um, 1971, Time magazine uh, did an article, a cover story, called The Jesus Revolution, which is amazing. Only six years after or seven years after the God is Dead um, edition, they put out a new edition, The Jesus Revolution. And in that, in that edition, they said that there were over 800 Jesus communes across the United States that had just sprung up in one or two years and you could travel all the way from New York City to San Francisco and not pay any board because you could just stop off in all these Jesus communes across the country. So it was a really big movement. But um, interestingly, what I think happens after that is the church does change and adapt to some of the things that they learnt from the Jesus movement and the older generations pick up the ideas of the Jesus movement that were brought by the young people and that's the shock absorber in action. So the young people in the 1970s adjusted to the generation gap in the 60s revolution by creating a rock and roll Christianity. And then what I think happened in the early 70s was the adults saw that and that's when they started the homogeneous unit principle. And the homogeneous unit principle was saying uh, the generations don't do things together anymore. Even though these young people are playing Christian rock and roll, the old people still want to do their hymns. So the compromise in Guy Ranglican Church, where I grew up, was the old people continued to sing their hymns in the traditional service, in the morning service, and then they started a youth service. So there was this experimentation and exploration of how can we be hip and crazy for the young people, and that's where all those games come from yeah, too. Right. So as well as rock and roll, they were playing games in the youth group on a Friday night to try and attract young people from the, from the lessons of the Jesus movement, I think. But by the late 1980s, that was pretty tired and lame, I think. And uh, is the late 1980s when you were growing up? That's and right. That's when yeah. you decided to yeah. notice that? Yeah, that's when I started to notice it. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it was like, yeah, 20 years later, they were still doing that sort of stuff they were doing in the early 70s. It's fascinating how much like <coughs> the 60s being such a real seismic cultural shift mm. then created this cascade of events that you're mm. talking about now. Mm. Um, I think you said, and then by the 80s now you're saying, hang on, 
like there was a, a good intention in doing that, obviously trying to meet people for Jesus, but hang on, now it's creating a, a problems within itself. Yep. How did you, um, you're moving into youth ministry at the time, like, well, the late yep. 80s, you're sorry, you're coming out, you're, you've, I don't want to make too many assumptions here, but mm. you when when did you turn eighteen? Nineteen eighty six. Okay, so that was <laughs> the day I was, the year I was born. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the the cool thing is that the, when are you starting to notice that? Hang on, this isn't this isn't working, even though it had good intentions behind it. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, at the time I was going to university, uh, Lou, Lou, my wife. Uh, and I were going to university together, and uh, I went on after my undergraduate degree to start a postgraduate degree. And I actually decided to use my political science studies to actually look into this a bit more. And so I was doing a PhD exploration into youth ministry and why young people were leaving the church. And uh, at the time, my wife was working um, for Frito-Lay, a company that makes chips, and she's a HR manager. And she was at work one day, and there was an Irish guy who worked with her and who was who was a generation older than her, and he asked her, "Oh, what does your husband do?" And she she said, "Oh, he's exploring the Jesus movement. He's looking into the Jesus movement." And he surprised her by saying, "Oh, the Jesus people, yeah. I I used to be a hippie in Ireland in the 1960s." And Lou was surprised because she's like, "I didn't know there were hippies in Ireland in the <laughs> 1960s." He's like, "Well, there you go." And she said, "And there were Jesus people in this in Ireland." He goes, "Yeah, the Jesus movement spread all, out all over the world. It was in Australia and Ireland and America everywhere." Anyway, he said, um, "And she said, what did you think of the Jesus people?" And I'll go and tell Stu. And he said. Well, the Jesus people were kind of cool, but they were always trying to work out what we were doing. And by the time they'd worked out what we were doing, we'd gone on to the next thing. Right. And I remember that, thinking that's a really good explanation of how the church went after the 70s. I think we've been culturally trying to work out what the world's doing, and then we've been trying to create a Christian version of it for a long time. But the problem for us is it's getting more and more complicated because over the 70s and the 80s, 90s and up till now, youth culture changes. So particularly those of us in youth ministry... Uh, once upon a time, you could run a 1970s youth group in the early 70s and play rock and roll and everyone would like to come along. But over time, youth culture plurifies and becomes more tribal. And there's all these different tribes. So surfers don't talk to kids who like computer games in the 80s. People who listen to uh, Radio Birdman, which was a band I used to be into, uh, don't talk to people who like Guns and Roses. And we talked about mullets before in the 80s. Mullets were a sign that you were into heavy metal music, whereas I was into more new wave music and I was into punk music and so I didn't dress like that. So even within youth culture, young people are defining themselves against each other as well as against their parents. And so the problem for ministry is if we're going to take that cultural approach like the Jesus movement did and then the homogeneous unit principle did, we can have to continue to plurify our ministries over and over. And there's an example of that that I heard about in the 90s where there was an American church that had so many church services. It had a a traditional service. It had a contemporary rock and roll service. It had a country and Western music service. (laughs) And who knows how many other services all happening at the same time. So the same age group were all going, picking and choosing uh, based on what kind of music styles they listened to. So for me and my contemporaries back in the early 90s, we started going, well, this is a losing battle to continue to try and be culturally relevant. Uh, maybe we should just embrace the fact that we're not cool and try and stop looking like we are cool. And while while it's a good thing to take away cultural barriers between us and people who don't know Jesus, 
for example, I don't think I have to ask my friends who are 18 to come to a dusty uh, to come to a dusty Sunday school hall and play youth group games in order for them to meet Jesus. That that's a, a culturally inappropriate way of reaching my generation in the late 80s. However, um, I think what we started to talk about was, and you know, this was concurrent with what was happening in culture anyway. I mean, the grunge scene had just launched when we started. Nirvana and Pearl Jam were all sort of questioning the 80s and questioning what had gone before. And we were defining ourselves against the baby boomer generation anyway. So it was probably in that way part of the cultural moment that I was a part of. But we were also trying to say, how do we do something that's real and get back to real relationships with Jesus that create real relationships with each other? I think that's where we, we ended up landing. And it's also kind of like, well, Jesus transcends all of that kind of stuff, mm. too, which I'm, I'm assuming that you would have obviously been thinking about as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you see as coming up through, the, like growing to the 90s and the 2000s, what did you see as the things that were kind of defining the culture at that time? Um, I know you've always mentioned the iPhone. This is always a massive one. Yeah, well, technological change is. Yeah, yeah. and I think even when you were talking about um, how youth culture purifies, I think the internet has ex- like accelerated that even more so. Like yeah. Almost to the point that sometimes I think it's so purified that, possibly the youth culture are realising that and they actually have more in common sometimes. I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah, I think that's a fascinating thing. I mean, I, I think a few things are happening. Um, parents my age are listening to the same music as their teenagers still. That's different. Um, teenagers who surf can also now play computer games and there doesn't seem to be this massive cultural cringe about that. So there's more individualism, I think, more individual choice. And I think on the outside it looks all intents and purposes is the generation gap looks less i mean back in the 60s young men were growing their hair long and old men were like that's just get a haircut. An, yeah get it 100 oh, <laughs> percent. that was an anathema but now it's like people do whatever they want and no yeah. one seems to care and parents go with their kids to rock concerts or go to you know pop music concerts or or hip-hop concerts or whatever yeah. one direction <laughs> but um what i think is happening though is uh, another thing that happened in the early 90s triggered this for me is that, that a, a year or two after I heard those radio presenters on Triple J say that, uh, REM released Losing My Religion. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was iconic. Now, since they, if you're not sure, if you've never heard of the song Losing My Religion, it's good to, to, to look it up. But the whole song talks about the angst of this Gen Xer who is losing his religion. Now, REM, the band, say that that wasn't really about religion, but that's definitely how I. Uh, understood it when I first listened to you it. You identified with it. Yeah, and I think it was sort of, to me, helpful because I'm thinking my whole generation is moving away from from the gospel in some ways, although, you know, the, not completely. I don't want to be too doom and gloom, but the, there's a great deal of young people moving away. And then in the mid-2000s in Australia, uh, the Catholic Church did a survey of the spirituality of Gen Y, which is your generation, which yep. followed me. And what they found in that, disturbed me too because not only was I realising that Gen X had moved away uh, from going to church even more than the baby boomers had in the 60s but now Gen Y were becoming less spiritual than even my generation and what was concerning about that uh, study was that uh, young people just didn't care about any spirituality it wasn't organised religion in my day and age people would tend to say oh look I'm searching for a spiritual reality i just don't like the institutionalized church but in the spirit of gen y the study found that young people are starting to go i just don't care about it and 
when you look at the dramatic technological change of the iPhone and internet, it's no wonder that there are so many things that that vie for attention for young people. And I mentioned earlier the new atheists arrived at that time. So young people could watch clips from Dawkins and others who were literally attacking the character of God. And, uh, you know, I remember going to high school to do scripture at the time of of all these changes and young people would just be dismissive. And that credibility issue was very high in the, 90, uh, the 2000s, let alone the next decade in the 2010s when you know the Royal Commission has had its impact, the gay marriage debate turned a lot of young people off the church. Uh, there's yeah this credibility issue uh, that's really, really interesting. So I think, I think the culture is changing. But as I said earlier, I think the big change too is not just the internet, but I think young people in the 2010s became more and more political with uh, more social justice more um, climate change, you know, worried about climate change and demonstrating uh, Facebook and social media and then Instagram and later Snapchat and TikTok gives young people an opportunity to voice their own personal political views. And so I think Gen Y, the millennials, were quite angry at the church and had a way of voicing their anger towards the church. By and I think they didn't care. Yeah, they mean? weren't really saying they didn't care. They were they were more angry with the church. Yeah, I right. think I, I think that was the thing I noticed anyway. Were they sorry? Were they angry angry with the church because what? Sorry, why were they angry with the church though? What like what did they see? Well, I think I think the church represents a modernist institution okay. that that is part of all the problems with the society that they want to change. So they want a, a revolution or a reformation to 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 become. Um, to become more loving, to become more caring. The church actually has a message of love. The gospel is a message of love. Uh, but they were seeing the church as restricting their opportunity to love. I mean, you know, the whole uh, love wins is a, uh, a big theme of the gay marriage debate in Australia. Uh, that, that sort of idea that the church was standing between progress and where they wanted to go. I mean, and that's an old thing too. I mean, back in 1971, again, that documentary talks about a really seismic event that happened in 1971 in London where there was a magazine, a youth magazine called Oz Magazine and it was taken to court for um, uh, leading young people astray with pornography. So it was considered to be such a bad magazine So it was talking to young people about sexuality and how to have sex and all this sort of stuff. And it sort of predate later magazines like Clio and Cosmopolitan that came out later. But this Oz Magazine, the editors were actually put in jail because the court and, and there were Christians demonstrating outside the court calling for those guys to be arrested and put in jail. So I think young people have this cultural memory of the church standing um, in opposition to some of those new social movements that emerged in the 70s. Not always, but quite prominently in the 80s with um, the moral majority in America who were also saying things that a lot of young people my age were laughing at. I mean, they were saying that there was all this backmasking back in rock and roll records that oh, yeah. were you know putting in secret devil messages into the, the famous one is that the stairway to heaven stairway happens. yep and there was um uh other people from the so-called moral majority that were saying that drums were of the devil that that syncopation in rock and roll music needed to be rejected and your generation would have no idea about this but when yeah. i was young there was a big debate at our church whether we should have guitars in church and then were they going to allow drums they didn't allow drums for another five years after they let the guitars come in yeah, yeah. so that sort of cultural memory i think 
keeps building over time. And I think my generation, Gen X, were very cynical and rejected a lot of things from the boomers. And it sort of was a trajectory that our young people have been on for quite a while, I think. So, And, and that anger is, <coughs> excuse me, that anger is uh, you don't understand what we're going through or you don't understand yeah. what our culture is about. And, and rightly, there was some, you know, the church has been guilty of some some things that were have been terrible things too. I mean, we mentioned the Royal Commission. There's, um, uh, I'm not saying that uh, that all Christian leaders covered up instances of sexual abuse, but they've been very public examples of that. Uh, people are rightly angry at that. Um, I think the the way uh, some minorities have been treated in the past has been uh, there have been instances of them being treated really badly. I think I think there have been instances in the past uh, where gay people have been treated really badly uh, by Christian people. And so I think there's a lot of reason for us as Christians to continue to repent when we have done things that we shouldn't have done. But I I think for people who aren't Christians who are looking into the church, they see examples like that and just think we're hypocrites and that we're controlling and that we're oppressive. And so for some young people, that that forms a picture of how they see the church. I'm not saying all young people are like that. I'm not saying all young people are social justice uh, orientated either too. While I think most young people are really aware of climate change and a lot of the issues that are facing us, I am noticing in the generation coming up now, the Gen Zs, that there's a a new change. Uh, I think the millennials... Uh, I don't want to oversimplify it or characterise a whole generation, but there's a lot more anger towards the church amongst millennials who left the church and rejected the church. But I think well, there's a lot of uh, uh, Gen Zers who are coming up now who were born around the mid-2000s who have never been to church. And so they don't necessarily have the same anger. And the other thing I'm noticing is that in some ways, some of, some of those young people are still politically active, but some of those young people aren't politically active. Some of those who are politically active are very left-wing in their p- political views, but equally there are uh, a lot of young people today who are listening to right-wing podcasts too, like Ben Shapiro and, and others who, uh, particularly young, young white males, are listening to some of that stuff. So the politics is becoming... Uh, more fractured again it's similar to what happened in the 80s with a plurification of tribalism you can't look at all young people and say oh they're all the same political persuasion there's a growing diversity amongst them but the other thing i find really interesting is there's a lot of young people who just don't care they're like the chats they just want to have fun and i i i call them the don't careians so (laughs) so when we go to scripture we we often um you know have a lot of kids who just don't care they they really have no opinion so I think the challenge for us as the church is, yes, we need to understand that the culture is changing and that young people are changing, but really it's constantly changing. Culture always changes. And what I love about the shock absorber idea is the idea is that rather than the church doing what I'm doing now, which is watching, I mean, I'm just sharing some of my observations. Hopefully people watching and listening can share some of your observations. You know, maybe I've, I've got some things right, some things wrong. You might want to agree or disagree on some of those things. That'd be fascinating to hear but one of the things i think we've got to be careful of is not just creating um an echo chamber of adults who are talking about young people we actually need to engage them in the conversation and i think we need to hear their voices and that's what i love about the chip lunch that you've got that podcast where young people are sharing what it's like to be a young person and a christian for example um 
The shock absorber says, the idea of it anyway, says that culture is constantly changing and just like a car needs shock absorbers to go over the physical bumps in the road, uh, culture is changing and as the church travels through time, we need our young people to help us to navigate those cultural shocks and listening to them is a good idea. Uh, like I said, in 1971, the Jesus movement were the cultural shock absorbers of the church that then uh, helped the church to invent this new idea called the homogeneous unit principle. But I think rather than just trying to create a cultural version of the world, young people can actually help us to understand the culture. And a shock absorber needs to be flexible and strong. And I think the strength of a shock absorber comes from the cultural shock absorber in the church, comes from older Christians with their life experience and their wisdom and their theological understanding coming together with young people and talking about culture in a theological way. And what, what I'd be excited to do uh, next episode is maybe to, to pause and think, what does the Bible say about young people? What does the Bible say about who we are as the church before we have the conversation and invite young people to read the Bible with us and sit down and have a conversation about faith? And I think that's how we navigate the future and I actually think that's how we reinvent church because Mark Center wrote this really cool book back in 1991 called The Coming Revolution of Youth Ministry and in it he describes all this stuff I'm talking about but then after that he wrote this second book called The Four Views of Youth Ministry with four of his friends and it was his opportunity to try and say what are different approaches and strategies the church can have to youth which I think would be really interesting to tap into down the track but he basically um, looks at it from, I think he looks at it from an adult point of view, which is good. But he, in the book itself, he says that the church doesn't really listen to young people until they turn 40. And I think the reinvention is not necessarily us looking at the culture and then reinventing our church so that it's something young people want to come to. I think we sit down with them as the cultural shock absorbers of the church and say, Let's talk about this together and let's look at the Bible and sit down under the authority of God's word and work out as best we can what strategies come from the Bible and how can we start new strategies that might be more effective. So I think that would be fun to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really cool. I was, I was going to say we, we talked a lot about the issues that you, you're noticing and I know you're just observing that. And it's funny how we only pick that up when it's, 10 or 20 years later, mm. not when we're in, in the moment. And mm. I think that's really interesting because if we are listening in the moment, like you're saying, then we perhaps might be able to head off that don't carry an attitude at the, more earlier to be able to engage with the youth culture more. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And like I said, I don't want to label all young people in one category. I'm just trying to say that I think there's diversity amongst young people and I want to give them credit for the fact that they're all individuals and they're all thinking for themselves. But I do think that there is opportunity for us to connect with young people and for us to talk about the problems, but also the good things. I think one of the other things I want to say that this, this season, one of the new things we could do is instead of just forming an apologetic for the church all the time, I think we should, we should really be pointing people to Jesus really clearly. That's why in our church we've got this saying, Jesus changes everything, because we think he's fantastic. His teaching is wonderful and he is perfect, even though... The church is not perfect. Jesus is. And to help people to meet Jesus, I think, is, is the, the way to go. And the reinvention is let's, let's help people to meet Jesus. And then as we meet Jesus, then we have a conversation about all these things, the good things and the hard things. And 
I think, you know, the next questions are going to be things like over the coming weeks, like how do we connect with young people? I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, I know we've just launched a Discord server, for example, for that yeah. very attempt. Hey, do yeah. you, I don't know. Do you got anything you want to yeah, share well, about then, that? Well, um, guys, you would have seen Ethan, your son, mm-hmm. on um, the last podcast that we did at the end of season two, and he's he had the idea of mm-hmm. launching a Discord server, mm-hmm. um, you know, because there's a lot of young crew that are on that. Yeah. But also that because we're currently during covid lockdown we're like how else can we engage these people and mm. perhaps create a third place which you've talked about mm. um, many times before about how can we engage with the youth in that in that way we have to obviously work it out it's been a little bit of a battle working out all the roles and permissions and all that kind mm. of stuff but we're now you can actually stream we're streaming services through that on friday nights which is um where a lot of the youth youth like to hang out so mm. that's been um a really interesting way to do what you're talking about mm. and i think that's one of the reasons why we're also trying to create with what we're trying to create with the chip lunch podcast is go it's hard being a christian right now it also like a lot of people don't care like mm. you said a lot of people or a lot of people are angry and mm. it's almost like we're so post-christian that it's like the church is entirely irrelevant now yeah and we want to i think we want to say no it's jesus is just as relevant now as he was 2000 years ago or even back in the 60s and 70s like you were talking about i might be an optimist but i get a little bit excited about that because it's like a clean slate i think we're going to be able to say so many people haven't gone to church now that we can actually say can we tell you about jesus can we tell you about church and they might go oh okay i'll have a listen Mm. and i think if we have a stance that is humble and loving i think that's a really good way to go and i think um and the other thing i want to i'd love to say just to to finish too is that i think the way forward is not just one silver bullet that everyone's going to do the same thing i think we need to experiment and we need to have the confidence that we can try some new things but not with theology i think we really need to hold on to our reformed evangelical theology and and i think then we can experiment with strategy uh, rather than theology what does worry me at the moment with experimentation is i am um, concerned about uh, some people's experiments with theology to try and change the the message of the gospel to fit with the culture and the fear i have about that is it's similar to what that uh irish hippie said to my my wife lou at frito lay where he said yeah you christians were kind of cool but you're always trying to work out what we're doing and try and fit what you're doing into what we're doing by that time we've moved on to the next thing it's like too late yeah but but also we shouldn't change who we are to to meet the gospel the culture we should be who we are and uh, i think that would be an interesting thing to unpack that we keep our identity as Christians and we clothe ourselves with Christ. And as we clothe ourselves with Christ, we we look for ways to engage with young people. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's what that article on Youthscape you were talking about by Chris Curtis was talking about. There was how do we, um, how do we create contact with people but also show that we're, we're credible and we can actually, you know, hold a conversation that is in within the culture but also very much trying to bring what jesus brings to the culture yeah yeah so yeah. i think we we hold on to our timeless message of the yeah, gospel yeah i, I think that's really important yeah. Yeah. well guys we might wrap it up for this uh, episode thank you very much for listening thank you Stu, for sharing all your wisdom and thoughts that was a very enjoyable podcast yeah, so thank I you enjoyed very it much too. um guys like we said you can check us out on youtube or you'll be on the podcast as usual uh we have a couple of other podcasts that you might like to listen to so check them out too um, but for now, oh, actually, I should say, uh, email us any questions or thoughts you've had. We've brought up awesome. a lot of interesting things today. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Um, so you can email me at joel at shockabsorber.com.au. 
and uh, any of those questions come in we'll actually love to answer them on the podcast so send them in um, but for now let's uh, wrap it up Stu and say thank you very much again and finish with a, as Larry Norman did one way one way one way